a long time ago. In a galaxy far, far away. Star Wars. Lost Tribe of the Sith. Number 2. Skyborn. By John Jackson Miller. Read by Decade Bird Publishing. Chapter 1. 5,000 Years BBY. Heretic. Good to see you too, Mother, Adari said. Did the children behave? The door hadn't fully closed when the smaller child was in Adari's arms, shoved there by Yulin. Adari's older boy bounded into the room, hobbling her. Under attack from four purple arms, Adari staggered toward the wall, looking for a spot to drop her non-living cargo. The canvas bag thudded against the wooden floor. Heretic. That's what your uncle says they're calling you, Yulin said. He was here and neighbor where tram, the tailor. And his wife, too she never leaves the hut for anything. Eight people have been by today. Well, don't look outside, Adari said. More followed me home. She shooed the gangly older child away and tried to rescue her silvery hair from her toddler's mouth. Short hair wasn't the fashion for Kashiri women, but for Adari, it was self-defense. Where her youngest was concerned, it'd never be short enough. Is the stew on? Stew? Yulin yanked her little grandson back, only to see Adari dart into the kitchen. Flushed with aggravation, Yulin's skin took on a violet hue that almost matched her daughter's. You're worried about dinner. You don't have any idea what's been going on around here, do you? It's a dinner break. I was working. Working, nothing. I know where you were. Adari stared into the clay crock full of boiling meat and vegetables and sighed. Of course her mother knew where she'd been. Everyone did. Adari Val, collector of rocks and stones, young widow of the valiant Yuvakrida on whom so many hopes had rested. Adari Val, enemy of right and order, absent mother and misleader of other people's children. Today had been her third day of testimony before the Neshtavar. It had gone as well as the other two. What is that sound? They're hitting the house with rocks, Adari said, returning with a steaming bowl that she set on the table. Standing back, she swung the front door wide and watched as several gifts from the community bounced over the threshold. She slammed the door quickly. A peppery stone under the empty cruce drew her eye. She reached for it with a sinewy, scratched arm. That's a nice one, she said. Not from around here. She was apparently drawing people from all over. She'd have to look around, later. Who needed expeditions when you had an angry mob to collect samples? Adari knelt and put the discovery in her pouch, already overflowing with stones of every shape and color. Above, the clatter grew louder. The younger child wailed. <coughs> Yulin's huge dark eyes widened further with horror. <coughs> Adari, listen, she said. They're hitting the roof now. That's actually thunder. It's proof, that's what it is. The Skyborn have forsaken you. No, mother, 
it's proof that they're protecting me, Adari said, eating standing up. If it rains, the mob can't set our house on fire. That wasn't likely to happen the widow of Aneshtavari was a protected person, unlikely to be killed in a riot. However, there was nothing wrong with making her life miserable, and since her sin was against the Neshtava themselves, no authority would stop them. In fact, little displays like this were good for public order. Adari poked her head into the backyard. No rocks there. Just the Uvac, doing what he had done all year, taking up most of the place and being unfragrant. Emerald reptilian eyes opened long enough to shoot her a bad look. His leathery wings shifted, raking against the sides of the pen. The beast didn't mind the cooling rain, but the noise from the street had disturbed his royal slumber. Riderless Uvac were all sloth and bad attitude, but Ninkhaden liked his rider when he had won. He was Adari's least favorite thing, but he came with the house. In a sense, the house was his. In olden times, when a Neshtavarian Uvac rider died, the community had slain the deceased's family, as well. That practice had ended, perhaps the only time the Neshtavar had allowed practicality to overrule tradition. Uvac were precious, temperamental, and attached to their riders, stabling them with the dead riders' survivors often kept the beasts sane enough to be useful for the breeding market. Not to mention, Adari mused, what it must have done for Neshtavar breeding. The riders hadn't had great social lives when death was in the picture. But since the change, Uvac riders had become highly sought after as mates in Keshuri society. Adari hadn't sought Jari Val at all. She was interested in rocks, Jari was their equal for conversational ability. In nine years he had given her two dim-witted children, a description that seemed less harsh to her than maternally charitable. She loved them well enough, but they were showing no signs of being any kinder or brighter than their father had been. Foolishness bred true. She, the fool for not running away, he, well, he was Jarival. The valiant young rider of the Neshtavar on whom so many hopes rested, that was the line from the wake had mistreated Nink one too many times. One beautiful morning, the beast had flown Jari far out over the sea and unceremoniously dropped him. Adari was sure she had seen a hint of satisfaction in the creature's bright green eyes when he returned home. She'd never gotten along with Nink before, but at least now she paid him some respect. When it came to Jari, the Uvac had had more sense than she did. It wasn't all her fault, she knew. The match had resulted from years of lobbying by Yulin, seeking to lock in her family's future position. Only males became riders, but Keshiri property descended matrilineally, now Adari and her mother had the Uvac and the wooden house, while their neighbors still lived in huts of lashed together hijabo shoots. Yulin was thrilled, and Adari was content to let the children be Yulin's domain, too. Adari had done her duty, the Keshiri had been advanced by another generation. Now she could concentrate on something important. If they'd let her. I have to go back she said, lifting her younger son from his work destroying the dinner table. The afternoon hearing had gone long, and an unprecedented evening session loomed. I knew you'd do something like this, Yulin said, her gaze piercing her daughter's back. I've always said all that digging around in the filth would do you no good. And arguing with the Neshtavar. Why do you always have to be right? I don't know, mother. 
but it's something I'm going to have to live with. Adari said, handing off the dripping toddler. A smeary imprint remained on her tunic no time for a change. Try to get Torna and Finn to actually sleep tonight. I'll be back. She opened the door carefully to find that the rain had driven off the crowd. Comfort trumped belief on Kesh. But the rocks remained, dozens of ironic little statements scattered all across the stoop. If the hearings lasted any longer, she wouldn't have to do any more field research for the season, everything she needed would be on her doorstep. Perhaps she should offend the Skyborn every year. We were talking about the flames tones, Adari reminded the chief of the Neshtavar. You were talking. Isri Daz said. I accept no such term. The aged rider and high counselor hobbled around the edge of the circle eternal, a plaza where a tall column served as a massive sundial. Adari looked around. Another gorgeous evening, for a place that had no other kind. It was the same every day, inland, a brief, determined afternoon rain followed by a cool breeze that blew straight through the night. But now half the village had foregone real entertainments to watch a bald, bloodless man harangue a young woman. There are no flame stones. He said, gesturing to a pair of crimson rocks on a pedestal beside the central column. I see here only normal stones of Kesh, as you might find on any hillside. Adari coughed. You have something to say? I'd better not. Adari looked up from her seat in the sandy clearing and then around at the glaring listeners. What was the point? No one would listen. Why keep making it worse? She took another look at Isri. This lavender wraith was the man who had eulogized Shuri. What did he know about anything? What business did the Neshtavar have telling anyone what to think, just for convincing a few lazy animals to take them for rides now and again? Fine she thought, rising. These'll be too few rocks they can throw. She took a stone from the pedestal. I have, the scholars of Kesh have collected stones from every part of this continent. We record what we find. We compare. This rock came from the foot of the Sesal Spire, on the southern coast. The spire created this stone, from the flames it holds inside. And this. Adari said, Picking up the other rock, was found right here outside the village, buried in the riverbed. The stones were identical. Now, the mountains ringing our plateau aren't smokers, what we call volcanoes, at least, not now. But this rock being here suggests they might once have been. This whole continent, in fact, might have been created by them. Heretic. Is my mother here? Adari craned her neck, scanning the crowd. Someone tittered. Isri took the stones from her and rustled along the perimeter of the audience. You say these stones came from below? He said, the horrible word dripping from his tongue. And created all that is cash. Then, and now. The smokers are building more land all the time. But you know that all that is cash came from the Skyborn. Isri said, jabbing his cane in her direction. Nothing can be born of Kesha knew. She knew, every child knew. The Skyborn were the great beings above, the closest thing the Kesh had to deities. Well, there was something closer, the Neshtavar, as the self-proclaimed sons of the Skyborn, might as well have been the Skyborn as far as life on Kesh was concerned. 
Keshiri faith was vertical, high was mighty. The elevated were venerated. It was Isri's Uvac riding group that, ages before, had brought down from the lofty oceanside peaks the wisdom of the great battle of creation. Riding colossal Uvac of crystal, the Skyborn had fought the other side in the stars. The battle raged for eons, with the other side injuring the Skyborn before being defeated. Drops of Skyborn blood fell upon the roiling Black Seas, forming the land that birthed the Keshiri people. Adari wondered about the biology of a gigantic, sander-blooded race, but the Neshtavar notion had something going for it, the Keshiri's few maps of the land looked as if one of her kids had spilled something on them. Long-ridged peninsulas spattered in all directions from a cluster of plateaus, forming enormous, often unwalkable coastlines and fjords enough for the Keshiri to harvest marine life forever. Farther up the many rivers to the plateaus, farmers drew even more from the rich soil. The Keshiri numbers were both vast and well-fed. About the other side, Adari found the Neshtavar were incurious to a fault. That which opposed the Skyborn meant death, sickness, fire, rebellion, in no particular order, when it wasn't taking mortal form in accordance with the storyteller's needs. The other side came from below, another element in the message of vertical faith. And that was all there was to say. Given the elders' devotion to the Skyborn, Adari was surprised they hadn't hammered down who or what the other side was. But then, if they had, they'd have come up with a better name. Which wasn't stopping Isri from invoking it repeatedly as he railed at her. Your words glorify the other side, Adari Val. It's why you are here. You are here for preaching. Teaching. Telling these lies about the great battle to your acolytes. Acolytes. They're students. She searched the crowd for familiar faces. Her students had ducked out the day before when things had gotten rough, but some of their parents were here. You, Ori Daran. You sent your son to the scholars because he wasn't any good at the mill. And where Tram, your daughter? Everyone here in Tav, do you think the village is going to fall into a hole because I talked to your children about some rocks? It very well could. Isri grabbed his cane from its spot by the pedestal and shook it. This land was a part of the living Skyborn. Do you think they do not hear you? When the ground quakes, when the smokers burn, it's their remnant acting in sympathy with their wishes. Their wishes that we honor them and hate the other side. This again. I know that's what you think, Adari said, searching for slow, even tones. I don't pretend to know what forces work the world. That's clear. But if disagreeable words caused the world to shake, Kesh would rock every time husbands and wives quarreled. She inhaled deeply. Surely, the Skyborn have more important affairs than to police our own little disagreements. I know they do. Silence. Adari looked around. Dark Keshiri eyes, once aimed at her, pointed down and away. She'd won a few, that time. Maybe not enough to let her keep her job, but enough that she could keep collecting. Purple faces turned west, toward the Setogen Mountains. Jutting out into the ocean beyond, the range provided the village of Tarf some of its finest sunsets, but now the flames were coming from the mountain peak itself. A pillar of fiery ash billowed from the summit. It made no sense. 
Adari helped Isri to his feet. That, that's a granite peak, she said over the subsiding echo. It's not volcanic. It is now. Chapter 2 A rock was a simple thing, but as her grandfather had told her, by simple things, we know the world. Adari had never felt shame for all those hours she'd spent searching the creek beds, or for finding more of interest in the shards of a shattered stone than in her children's first words. She was teaching them, but the rock was teaching her. Now, thanks to a simple rock, she was seeing more of the world than ever before, from high above, clinging to the broad back of Nink. It was an unlikely position for either of them, but she'd been in it for most of the night and part of a day. Her first UVAC flight. It wasn't by choice. The hours after the explosion on the mountain hadn't gone that badly, she thought. Audience members at the hearing had fled to their homes. She'd done the same after Daz and his cohorts left together, quibbling over signs and portents. By the next morning, however, the mood of the town had changed. The faraway Setogen Peak was still smoking, but it had become clear that it posed no danger to Tarf or the villages farther down the watershed. It was safe for everyone to go outside, out to Adari's front yard, to express their feelings about her faithless words and the smoldering addition to the skyline they had caused. The Skyborn did listen. What other proof was needed? If the Kashiri couldn't silence Adari Val, they'd at least make sure their voices were louder than hers. They'd been doing a good job of it when Adari sent Yulin and the kids out to take refuge at her uncle's place. The growing crowd, still pelting the house with rocks, had parted to let the innocents leave. But the mob had stayed straight through the afternoon rain, and by sunset, the Neshtavar themselves were outside, their Yuvak tethered safely away from the throng. By the time Izridaz had hobbled up the steps to pound on her door, Adari had seen the first torches lit outside. That had been enough for her. The torches could have been for light, but they might have been for something worse. She'd clearly exceeded whatever protection a widow of Inuvakrida was afforded. The Kashiri weren't big on violence, but they didn't have a lot of variety in their social sanctions, either. Judging that it didn't look like a banishing kind of crowd, Adari had turned in desperation to her own backyard, and at least liked portion of her legacy, Nink. Her departure over the rooftop had surprised the people out front almost as much as the maneuver's success had surprised her. The Yuvak was most surprised of all. With his rider gone, Nink could have expected never to be ridden again. Yuvak took to new riders so seldom that they were promptly put out to stud. Awakening to Adari trying to clamber aboard his fleshy back, Nink could have done anything, gone anywhere. He went up. She had spent the rest of that night alternately screaming and dodging pursuit by Neshtavar flyers. The latter feat was made easier by Nink's insistence on soaring far out over the ocean. Those had been the worst moments for Adari, who knew the animals past. But something on the Yuvak's part, perhaps curiosity, kept him from sending her to Jerry's grave. Just before dawn, Nink had finally found a seaside mountain roost, where Adari immediately collapsed with exhaustion. Amazingly, when she awoke, the Yuvak was still there, stuffing his beak with what little foliage there was. Home clearly wasn't looking that attractive to Nink anymore, either. Now, on the second morning since the explosion, 
Adari saw that her directionless night flight had taken her near the source of anxiety. The Setagen Range was a chain of craggy goliaths slivered from the mainland, a prominent part of the horizon when seen from the interior, but as inaccessible as places on the western shoreline got. An expedition of rock hunters had brought back what little Adari knew of the place, and that had required a sympathetic volunteer Neshtavari willing to fly a sample return mission. Seeing the mountain ahead of her, Adari was overtaken by the urge to see the truth up close. If the explosion wasn't volcanic, it could set things right with her and the community. And if the mountain was suddenly volcanic, she was curious about that, too. What was the process involved? Or were the scholars wrong about the makeup of the range? Had the Uvacrida flubbed the sample? That was probably it. Adari's anger rose as Nink did, the Uvac comfortably clearing the chain in preparation for an Oceanside approach. It would be poetic, Adari thought, if the one project the scholars had entrusted to Aneshtavar had resulted in wrong information. Setogen range samples, nothing, she thought. The idiot probably brought us rocks from his front path. She shuddered, and not just from the chilly air. Why should she be made to suffer for their colossal? Suddenly the source of the smoke column came into view. Adari nearly fell off Nink right then. She'd half expected to see an open caldera, steaming like the smokers, smoke really was a misnomer, she'd seen in the south. Instead, a massive shining shell sat in an indentation on the seaward side of the mountain. That was the word that entered her mind, even if the scale was completely wrong, its sharp, corrugated ridges resembled the ancient conchs she'd seen returned from the seabed. But this shell was the size of the circle eternal. And this shell had smoke, not steam, billowing from several ruptures. Tremendous grooves gouged behind the body showed it had struck downward at an angle. The fires inside were now nearly spent, but she could tell from the melted mangle that they must have been far larger once. The explosion producing the plume visible from the inland side must have happened right when it landed, she thought. Landed. Before Adari could contemplate this, movement caught her eye. One of the apertures in the shell disgorged something, something that struck the gravel below and disappeared in a slide of dust. She nudged the Uvac nearer. A flash of crimson light appeared in the small cloud, and at its end. A man. The man looked up at her. He was pale of face, lighter than the sickest Kashiri she had ever seen. And in his left hand was a shaft of brilliant red light the size of Isri's cane. Was it in his hand? Or was it part of his hand? Adari panicked, and Nink agreed, swooping out of the way. A violent but welcome updraft yanked them both back out over the sea. Adari shook her head violently and closed her eyes as Nink found smoother air. What had she seen? It had the shape of a man, yes. Hair, darker than any Kashiri, but then that red light. What was that light? And there was something else moving on the mountain, too, something she'd seen out of the corner of her eye. Was the shell a nest of some kind? She swallowed hard, her throat raw from the wind and elevation. It was all too macabre. Sample return missions, Neshtavar inquests, none of her past concerns stood for anything against what she'd seen. Opening her eyes, she brought Nink around on a looping approach parallel to the jagged beach. The giant shell perched near the end of a sheer drop-off, far above.
She'd approach from below, this time, rising carefully until she could get a closer look. Adari soon realized that her plan, while reasonable, was wholly unsuited for a novice rider. Nink strained against her, taking her on a spiraling route to the top that wrenched her stomach. Dizzy, she fought to keep her eye on the cliff top. The figure from before was there, without the bright red light. But holding something else. Something whizzed past, hurtling downward at such speed that Nink withdrew his wings in fear. Adari slipped for real this time, tumbling backward. Flailing, she caught the Yuvak's clawed foot with one arm on the way down, and desperately wrapped her other arm around it. Nink! She strained to look up, but Nink was on the move, sailing away from the crest and its strange goings-on as fast as his reptile wings could carry them. Dangling, she saw that Nink was making for the safety of their earlier roost, farther up the chain. He'd obviously had enough surprises for one day. So had she. But at least she was getting used to them. Or so she thought. Shortly before the sun slipped behind the western ocean, she watched the last wisps of smoke disappear from the mountaintop. Adari didn't think Nink could be coaxed up there again before her water pouch ran out. The dried breca beets were already gone. She'd left so quickly she hadn't restocked her expedition pack. Now, sitting on a ledge and watching the sunset, she drew an invisible continent on her knee, wondering how far she would have to fly to reach any settlement that had not heard of her plight. There probably wasn't such a place. The Neshtavar weren't just the peacekeepers and lawgivers, they were the communications system that made far-flung Kesh one world. Circuit riders would have already spread the word from Tav to the elder riders in each village. She had escaped, but freedom was no deliverance for her. Deliverance. The word reached her on the wind. It wasn't even a word, really, not one she had heard before. A strange, melodic combination of syllables that meant nothing to her ear. Yet her mind recognized it as a familiar concept, deliverance. Instinctively, she looked back toward the mysterious peak, drowning in shadow. Lights winked in the darkness near its massive base. Fires, but not the uncontrolled fires that must have been present at the mountaintop. These fires had been set. Adari sprang to her feet, losing her water pouch over the edge. The Neshtavar. They'd hunted her here, and they'd camped, and in the morning, they'd find her. They wouldn't wait to find out what she'd seen atop the mountain, not when she'd compounded her crime by daring to fly Nink. A breeze was blowing to the sea from the direction of the mountain. Cool, calming. Deliverance, came the word again. Another feeling followed, complex and emphatic, we are yours, and you are ours. Adari blinked back bewildered tears and stepped toward the sleeping Yuvak. The wind rose again. Come to us. She'd been wrong to come here. The sky had told her to, but it didn't seem like any kind of deliverance Adari knew. Her nose crinkled at the stench. The gully was dark, but it was clear something awful had been burned there. Even the sulfurous pits of the south weren't this bad. She looked back at Nink, yawning in the woods and unwilling to follow her father. Wise animal. The active fires were ahead, through trees over the hill. 
air caressed her as she crept up. Whatever they were burning, it wasn't what was in the gully. In the clearing below, Adari saw them, people. As many people as had been at her final hearing, only gathered around multiple campfires. She again thought of the Neshtavar lying in wait for her. If so, then her arriving on foot was probably for the best. She strained to make out their voices as she approached. She recognized one, but not his words. She crept closer, and left her feet entirely, hurtling toward a tree. Flailing, Adari slammed hard against it, collapsing breathlessly at its base. Figures rushed at her from the shadows. Scrambling, she saw them, their bodies illuminated not by the fires, but from stalks of magenta energy emanating from their hands, just like she had seen before. She tripped over a root. No. She never hit the ground. An unseen force yanked her through the maze of figures, depositing her abruptly before the largest bonfire. Rising, her back to the flames, she looked at the advancing wraiths. They were people, but not like her. Not purple, but beige, brown, red, and more, every color but what they were supposed to be. And some faces weren't like hers at all. Tiny tentacles wiggled on red jowls. A fat, leprous figure, twice as bulky as the rest and with a hide-like minx, stood behind them all, grunting gutturally. Adari screamed, but they weren't listening. They were all around her now, man, woman, and monster, shouting gibberish. She mashed her hands to her ears. It did no good. The words were digging past her ears. Digging at her mind. Mental pinpricks became knives. Adari reeled. The strangers surged forward physically and ethereally, pushing, scraping, searching. Waves of images flashed before her, of her sons, her house, her people, everything that was Adari, everything that was Kesh. She still saw mouths moving, but the cacophony now boomed inside her head. Words, meaningless words. That somehow began connecting with familiar impressions. As with the breeze before, the voices were alien, but she could feel the sounds coalescing around rational thoughts. You are here. There are others. There are others. Bring them here. Take us there. Bring them here. Adari spun, or all of Kesh did. Above her, the group parted for a new arrival. It was a woman. Darker skinned than the others, she held a baby tightly swaddled in a red cloth. Mother, Adari thought against the clamorous assault. A sign of hope. Mercy. Bring them here. Bring them here. Bring. Them. Here. Adari screamed, writhing against the unseen claws raking at her. The others were holding back. The woman above was not. Adari reeled. She thought she saw the veined wings of Nink, flying overhead and away. A hand appeared on the mother's shoulder from behind, drawing her back. The din faded from Adari's mind. She looked up to see, Jari Val. No, she realized, as her teary eyes focused. Another of the strangely clad figures, but short and stocky like her husband. She had once imagined Jory at the bottom of the sea, his rich mauve color drained. This man was paler still, 
but his dark shock of hair and reddish-brown eyes gave him a confident, compelling look. She had seen him before, on the mountain. She had heard him before, on the wind. Corson. He said, simultaneously in her mind and with a voice as soothing as her grandfather's. He gestured to himself. I am called Corson. Blackness closed around her. Chapter 3 On her third day among the newcomers, Adari learned to talk. She'd spent the first full day after the terrifying encounter asleep, if that was the right term for a feverish, nightmare slumber interrupted by brief patches of delirium. Several times, she'd opened her eyes only to shut them quickly on seeing the strangers hovering around her. But they were tending to her, not harassing her, as she'd found the second morning, awakening between an impossibly soft blanket and the rough ground. The newcomers had found a secluded dry spot for her, with several figures sitting vigil. Adari had drunk the water they offered, but it didn't restore her voice. Her head still rang, her mind bruised by the earlier assault. None of her vocabulary came when called. She had forgotten how to speak. Corson was sitting with her when she finally remembered. He'd called over Hestus, a rust-colored figure with a shining mask covering part of his acid-scarred face. It almost looked like it was part of his face, various bits hiding under his skin. Adari had flinched in fear, but Hestus had simply sat calmly, listening as Corson tried to talk with her. And they talked. Awkwardly, at first, with Hestus piping in occasionally to repeat a new Kashiri word she had said, followed by his own language's equivalent. Adari had marveled. The Kashiri words Hestus spoke sounded exactly like what she'd said, in her own voice, even. Corsin had explained that Hestus' special it gave him that talent, helping to speed along the exchange of information. Adari was interested in that exchange, but most of the information had gone the other way. She gathered that the people Corson led had indeed come from the silver shell, and that it had somehow fallen from the sky. It was also clear that, powerful as they were, they had no means of leaving the mountain now, isolated as it was by water and forbidding terrain. Corson had listened with interest as she spoke about Kesh and the Keshiri, of Yuvak and villages on the mainland. She'd mentioned the Skyborn only once, before stopping in near embarrassment. She didn't know who the newcomers were, but she felt abashed bringing it up. Now, on the third afternoon since her arrival, Adari was speaking comfortably with the newcomers, and had even picked up some words in their language herself. They were something called Sif, and Corson was human. She repeated the words. You're a good listener. Corson said, encouraged. He said others had worked with her as she slept, he did not say how to try to improve communications. Now they were progressing quickly, and it was not all they're doing. Even overwrought, Adari remained sharp. Our immediate concern, Adari Val. Corsin said, emptying a glistening pouch of powder into a cup for her. Must be to reach the mainland. There wasn't food or shelter enough for his people here, and the mountain had sheer drop-offs to the sea below. Her Yuvak might have provided an exit for someone, but Nink, as fearful of the newcomers as he was of the mountain's native wildlife, had spent the last few days far out of reach, above. Drinking the broth, it was filling, not unlike her mother's stew, she thought, Adari wrestled with the problem. 
Nink might come when she called, but only if she was standing in the open, alone. She could fly to land and return with help. I couldn't take any riders, though. Nink might not appear if she was accompanied, and a novice rider could never carry a passenger in any event. I'd have to go alone. But I'd return as soon as I could. She will not. Adari knew the voice before she even looked up. The screamer. The mother of the small child charged toward the smoldering campfire. She will abandon us. Corsin rose and took the woman aside. Adari heard heated words exchanged, unfamiliar ones. But in bidding the woman away, he spoke words Adari did recognize. We are her deliverance, and she is ours. Adari watched the woman, still glaring at her from afar. She doesn't like me. Sila? Corsin shrugged. She's concerned over her mate, lost from the crash site. And with a child, she's anxious to leave this mountain. He smiled, offering to help Adari stand. As a mother, I'm sure you understand. Adari gulped. She hadn't mentioned her children. She'd barely even thought about them since she arrived among the newcomers, she realized. Shaking her head in guilt, she revealed something else, that the Kashiri might not listen to her. Corsin seemed unsurprised, and unruffled. You're smart, Adari. You'll make them listen. He gently wrapped her shoulders with the azure blanket she'd slept beneath. Keep this. The sun's setting soon. It could be a cold ride. Adari looked around. Sila stood in silent fury, unmoved from before. The others Corsin had introduced died their leader nervously, red tentacle jowled Rovilan exchanged a worried look with Hestus. Even the- Adari looked around. Sila stood in silent fury, unmoved from before. The others Corsin had introduced died their leader nervously, Red tentacle-jowled Ravelin exchanged a worried look with Hestus. Even the hulking Gloyd, who, despite his brutish appearance, was clearly Corsin's greatest ally here, shifted uncomfortably. But no one barred her from leaving their campsite. When a strong hand did stop her at the edge of the clearing, she was surprised to see whose it was, Corsin's. About the Keshiri? Corsin said. You told us about Tav. Your town, it sounds a good size. But how many are the Keshiri? How many Keshiri are there in all, I mean? Adari answered immediately. We're numberless. Ah. Corsin said, his posture softening. You mean they have never been counted? No, Adari said. I mean, we don't have a number that large. Corsin froze, his grip on her arm tightening. His dark eyes, slightly smaller than a Keshiri's, focused on the wilderness beyond. She'd never seen him unnerved. If this was it, it lasted less than a second before he stepped back. Before you leave. He said, finding a tree to lean against. Tell me what you know about the Skyborn. Corsin had called the vessel he arrived in Omen. The word not only existed in the Kashiri tongue, but was a long-held favorite of the Neshtavar. Watching what was happening now on the plaza known as the Circle Eternal, Adari guessed even the Yuvak riding chiefs were realizing the irony. She had returned to Corsin after a single day, 
one full week after Omen had collided with the mountain, and with her life. It had been a simple matter for her to attract the Yuvak riders there, as soon as the patrols spotted her and Nink, they followed the whole way to the Setogen range. The place had been the scene for several surprises in recent times, but none trumped the moment when the Neshtavar came upon Adari standing defiantly amid 240 supportive visitors from above, almost everyone signaling his or her presence with a glowing ruby lightsaber. She didn't have one of the strange devices, but she glowed just the same from within. Adari Val, collector of rocks and enemy of order was now Adari Val, discoverer and rescuer, answerer of the mountain's call. Add profit to that, she thought as she watched the dozen score visitors, some hobbling from their ordeal, enter the circle eternal. They passed between gawking, silent crowds of Keshiri, many of the same people from her door the week before. Ahead in the circle, all the Neshtavar in the region were present, more than she'd ever seen. Three days of aerial rescue operations had brought the newcomers off the mountain, days in which the word had gone out far into the hinterlands. The Skyborn had arrived on Kesh. No lesser reason could explain why the riders compliantly took their positions not in the circle eternal itself, but along the raised perimeter. The villagers had watched Adari's hearing from here, now the Neshtavar were watching her in the circle, marching along behind Korsin. Behind them, the visitors filed in, forming their own inner perimeter over which the Neshtavar strained to see. Isridez looked small, standing beneath the column three times his height that served as the sundial's noman. Normally, it made him seem larger. Not today. He limped forward and greeted Corsin and company with mawkish words of praise before turning to the audience. Straining to see over the line of visitors, Isri made the declaration official. These were the Skyborn, he said, come down from the very mountain from which their servants had brought back the law centuries earlier. It wasn't the same mountain, Adari knew, perhaps the texts would be changed later. But Isri ignored that detail for now. The visitors had established their identities to the satisfaction of all of the Neshtavar, he said. You didn't believe them when they levitated your cane, Adari whispered, unable to resist. That ended when they levitated me. Isri rasped, under his breath. He turned back to see the villagers cheering not for his proclamation, but for Yaru Korsin, Grand Lord of the Skyborn, who had just physically leapt the distance to the top of the column. When the cheering finally died down, Korsin spoke in the Kashiri words that his interlocutor, the honored Adari Val, daughter of the Skyborn, had taught him that morning. We have come from above, as you say. He said, deep voice carrying to all. We have come to visit the land that was a piece of us, and the people of that land. And Kesh has welcomed us. More cheering. We will found a temple atop the mountain of discovery. We will be many months in labors there, tending to the vessel that brought us and communing with the heavens. And in that time, we will make our home here in Tav, with our children aided by the Neshtavar, who were such good stewards here in our absence. They will leave here today, taking wing to all corners of Kesh, to spread the word of our arrival, and find the artisans we require. He spoke over the applause. We are the Skyborn. And we will return to the stars. Happy chaos. Adari's younger son, Torna, squirmed against her. She spied her mother and Finn at an honored place just outside the circle, beaming happily. Adari looked up at Corsin, 
and swallowed hard. It was all so perfect. And all so wrong. Chapter 4 The rapturous mood of the Kesh lasted straight through moving day. The Skyborn had been quartered in the fine homes of the Neshtavar while the riders spread the word. As the Neshtavar returned one by one, their guests uniformly declared their preference to remain in the relatively sumptuous accommodations. After the sixth rider appealed to Isri, the elder declared that all riders should move their families to humbler homes, that the Skyborn might know their devotion. Corsin and Sela had been living in Isri's own house since the first day. Everyone moved but Adari. For her service to the Skyborn, she'd been allowed to remain in Jerry's house. It also kept her near Corsin, whom she saw daily in her informal role as ambassador and aide. She saw all the prominent Skyborn daily, gruff but amiable Gloyd, who was something called a hawk, Hestus, busily indexing the Kashiri vocabulary, and rust-colored Ravelin, who often seemed lost, a minority within a minority. She also saw Sela, who had installed herself in Corsin's lavish lodgings. Sela's child was Corsin's nephew, Adari Lund. Sela always glowered at Adari when she was around Corsin. Including today, as Adari stood with him at a dig on the edge of the Setogen range, in sight of the ocean she fled to a month before. The Skyborn needed structures to stabilize and protect Omen, but first they needed a clear land passage onto the peninsula. A route was taking shape with the Skyborn, whose number included many miners, hewing huge chunks of strata with their lightsabers. Sabers will do better when we recover some of the lignin crystals to power them. Gloyd said. Corsin presented a rock sample to Adari. Granite. The efforts were not for her, of course, but she'd always wondered what was below. Now she knew. You were right after all. Corsin said, watching her study the stone. She hadn't mentioned her conflict with the Neshtavar, but she'd been anxious to confirm her theories with someone who knew. Volcanoes did form new land. And the mountains of the Cetogen range went volcanoes while granite did come from magma, they told her, it was formed far underground over the course of eons. That was why its rocks looked different from the flames' tones. I don't understand half what my miners tell me. Corsin said. But they say you could easily help them, if you weren't helping me. Corsin began speaking with Gloyd about their next project a dig to find metals necessary to repair Omen. Adari started to interject when she saw Sela orbiting. Adari shuddered as the woman passed from sight. What had Adari done to earn such hatred? She's not staring at me, Adari realized. She's staring at Corsin. I saw you, Adari blurted to Corsin. What? I saw you a second time on the mountain, that day. You threw something over the side. Corsin turned from his work. He gestured, and Gloyd stepped away. I saw you throw something, Adari said, swallowing. She looked down at the ocean, crashing against the cliffs. I didn't know what, until you sent me to return to the village. Corsin stepped warily toward her. Adari couldn't stop talking. I flew down there, Corsin. I saw him below on the rocks. He was a man, she said, like you. Like me? Corsin snorted. Is he still there? She shook her head. 
I turned him over to look at him, she said. The tide swept him away. Corson was her height, but as she shrank, he loomed. You saw this, and yet you still brought the Neshtava to find us. Adari froze, unable to answer. She looked at the rocks, far below, so like the ones farther up the range. Corsin reached for her as he had before. And drew back. His voice softened. Your people turned on you to protect their society. You were a danger? How did he know? Adari looked up at Corsin. He looked less like Shari all the time. I believed something they didn't. Corsin smiled and took her hand gently. That's a fight my people are familiar with. That man you saw, he was a danger to our society. But he was your brother. Corsin's grip tightened for a moment before he let go altogether. You are a good listener. He said, straightening. The fact wouldn't have been hard to learn. Yes, he was my brother. But he was a danger, and we had dangers enough when you found us. He said. He looked deeply into her eyes. And I think this is something you know something about, the diary. That same seed took someone from you, too. Didn't it? Adari's mouth opened. How? Shari had died there, but the Neshtavar would never have told Corsin. Speaking of a rider's fall broke their greatest taboo, falling was being claimed by the other side. No one had seen it happen, save for Nink and the all-seeing Skyborn. Corsin was either a mind reader, or he was who he said he was. Her words barely came out. It, it's not the same. You pushed that man. I didn't have anything to do with what happened to Mai. Of course you didn't. Accidents happen. But you didn't mind that he died. I can see it in you, the diary. He was a danger to you, to the person you're becoming. Corsin's bushy eyebrows turned up. You're glad he's gone. Adari closed her eyes. Putting his arm around her shoulder, Corsin turned her toward the sun. It's all right, Adari. Among the Sith, there is no shame in it. You would never be what you are today with him keeping you down. Just as you'd never be what you're going to become with Isridev's keeping you down. At the name, Adari's eyes opened. The sunlight dazzled her, but Corsin wouldn't let her turn away. You were afraid of us. And afraid when you saw the body. You knew we'd die on the mountain if you didn't bring help. Yet you brought the Neshtavar anyway, because you thought we could help you against them. He released her. Adari looked blankly at the sun for another moment before looking away. Behind her, Corson spoke in the soothing tones he'd used when his voice had first reached her on the wind. Helping us interact with the Keshiri is not just about helping us, Adari. You will learn things about your world that you never imagined. He turned over the rock in her hand. I don't know how long we're going to be here, but I promise you will learn more in the next few months than you have in your entire lifetime. Than any Keshiri has. Adari shook. What? What do you? A simple thing. Forget what you saw that day. Corson made good on his word. In her first months with the Skyborn, Adari had learned much about her home. But she had also learned some things about where they had come from, and who they were. She was a good listener. By simple things, we know the world. 
Korsin Sith were the beings from above that she denied but they weren't the gods of Kashui legend. Not exactly. They had amazing powers, and perhaps they lived in the stars. But they didn't bleed sand, and they weren't perfect. They argued. They envied. They killed. The Sith did read minds, to a degree. Corsin had used that to call out to her for help after seeing her in the air. But they weren't omniscient. She'd found that out with a simple, surreptitious experiment involving Ravelin. She'd suggested he visit a restaurant deep in Tarv's busiest quarter. Off he went, getting lost in the same neighborhood she always got lost in. The Sith's perceptive powers were amazing, but they still required accurate knowledge from others. She sought to provide that, accompanying Corsin to many work sites, mostly employing jovial Kashiri Laborus. The Skyborn were perfect enough for the Kashiri, and perfect enough for her. Yaru Corsin was as far beyond Shuri Val in intellect as she was above the rocks, and as long as she learned to avoid the Eye of Sela, another widow of a fallen man, she could expect to learn a great deal more. At the same time her knowledge advanced, Isri's faith was further glorified. She took little joy in that, apart from the occasional chuckle she got from having a more storied role in it than he had. She was the discoverer, always to be remembered by Kashiri society. No one would remember Isri. Watching another quarry being constructed, she wondered what that society would look like. She knew something the Sith didn't, they'd be here for a long time. She'd mentioned it once to a miner, who promptly discounted it as advice from the local know-nothings. But she knew. The metals the Sith sought weren't in the soil of Kesh. Scholars had scoured every part of the continent. They had recorded what they'd found. If the substances Corsin's people required hid farther beneath the surface, it would take time to find them, a lot more time. Time, the Sith had. What, she wondered, would the Kashiri have?